Well, if you would, take your Bible and turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. And last week, we began laying the foundation for this very significant, very small passage of Scripture. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, is where we're going to be. And like I said, if you're new with us, we're in a series called Every Step Forward. We've been going step by step through the book of James. And James really is a wholly remarkable book. Just, uh, just to tell you a little bit about who this person James was, history records that James was the half-brother of Jesus. So Mary was James' mom, and Mary was also Jesus' mom. And the interesting thing about the way the history is told is that James, his in, during the entire life of Jesus, James didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. James didn't believe that his half-brother Jesus was Messiah during Jesus' life. There's actually a scene in the New Testament where Jesus is in his hometown and he's preaching and the religious leaders kind of incite the crowds to riot and they rise up against Jesus and they try to grab him and throw him off a cliff. They intend to stone him. And in that whole passage, nobody from Jesus' family is there to even protest. It's just completely silent. We don't know where James was. We don't know where the rest of the family was, but no one says a word. So through all of Jesus' life and ministry, James doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And then something happens. Jesus has been saying his whole life, I'm going to die, and when I die, I'm going to come back from the dead. And James experienced that. That's the thing that transformed, that's the thing that transformed James from the inside out. He realized that my brother, who said all these things while he was alive, he proved it when he came back from the dead. And if your brother comes back from the dead, I guess you could say he could say anything he wants and you would believe it, right? That's just kind of the way James was. And so this book is a remarkable book, partly because it was written by James' half-brother. This is not simply a book in the Bible, though. This is a book of history. James didn't write this to put it in the Bible. He wrote it as a letter to all of the people who live in Israel, to the 12 tribes in Israel. You see that in James chapter 1. And so history shows us that this book was written not as a book. It was written as a letter that was circulated all through Israel because James wanted people to know what he had come to believe after Jesus died and rose from the dead. And we get to James chapter 4, and we see something very specific. Last week, we talked about how there are some obstacles to every step forward. You know, in your path of life, every choice that you've made has come with a step that you've taken. And sometimes you take steps forward. Sometimes it feels like you take, like you take two steps forward and one step back. Two steps forward and one step back. But whatever the case is, you're taking a step, and every step forward comes with a challenge. And every step forward comes with crises. And every step forward sometimes comes with victories. And sometimes it's hurts and sometimes it's happy and, and every step forward just moves you somewhere and sometimes we face these obstacles to every step forward and last week we said the two greatest obstacles to every step forward are sin and temptation and we talked about how do you overcome sin sin is sinful, temptation is not sin we confess temptation we overcome so we talked about those two obstacles and today we're going to talk about the other obstacle to every step forward and I've heard people say it like this, Chad, I just want to know what the will of God is for my life. How can I possibly know what the will of God is for my life? 
Have you ever asked that question? It's a great question. It's a great question to ask. When I was uh, right out of high school, I went to college at Oklahoma Baptist University. Every time I say that, I feel like I should shout, go with Carip. And if you're from OBU, you'll know exactly what I mean. But it was funny because OBU is a Christian school. It's a Baptist school. And my first semester there, I learned this saying because everybody at the time, it was the 90s, everybody who was there believed that God's will for their life was to get a degree, get married, and go into the ministry. Not everybody, but a lot of people who were there were like that. Get a degree, get married, and, and go into the ministry. So a lot of the girls that were there at that time, they had this saying, ring by spring or your money back. And so that's just, that was their approach. They were looking for their MRS degree is what they were pursuing, and they just ring by spring or your money back. Well, Grant and Carly Collins just recently graduated from Oklahoma Baptist University, and, and Grant says, yeah, it's just ring by spring now. They don't give your money back anymore. They don't, they don't do that anymore. But because of that belief, and because so many people were people of faith, and they were Baptist, and they had this background, it wasn't uncommon for me to be in my dorm room, and some guy would come sit down on, uh, in, in my room, and we'd be talking about some girl he's dating, and he would say something like, I've met the girl for me. I've met the one. <laughs> it's God's will that we get married. I've prayed about it. I know this is God's will. We're going to get married. And I'll say, what's her name? And he'd say, I don't know yet, but I saw her across the, across the, the way, and I'm going to meet her tonight, and it is God's will for me to get married. You know, that question, what is God's will for my life, is a relevant question. And sometimes it has to do with, with who we date. We're saying, God, who do you want me to date? Sometimes it has to do with a job that we might take. God, which direction do you want me to go? Do you want me to take this job or that job? Do you want me to move here or stay there? Uh, Chuck Self, our former executive pastor and senior adult pastor, used to say, God's everywhere. Go where the money is. And so uh, those were just some, some wise words from Chuck. I appreciate his wisdom there. But um, we have these questions about God's will for our life, and then tragedy happens. We get that diagnosis or the, the pregnancy never happens or the marriage meets a rough spot or the layoff comes. God, what's your will for my life? Every step forward faces obstacles, two of the biggest ones, sin and temptation. But what about this idea of what is God's will for my life. Let's look at James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. And if you would stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. James chapter 4, verse 13. James says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Verse 17 is kind of the linchpin of this passage. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much. You may be seated. And I'll, I'll tell you that right now there's someone here who seems to be uh, struggling physically just a little bit. So could we just take a moment to pray for what, what's happening right now? That would be good. I know that our, our ushers are taking great care of them, and, and, and I know that they'll be well cared for. But, but let's pray just real quick. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you reveal your will in our lives. 
And I don't know what's happening right now, but I know that, that your care and concern for us is great and that, that you love this one who's struggling right now. So I pray that you would provide strength and healing. Thanks for our ushers. Thanks for the men and women who serve in the capacity to help one another and just for a church that loves one another. We are confident that you are with us and that we are together in moments just like this. We love you, Father, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. In that verse, it says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, buy and sell and trade, and listen to this, and make a profit. Now, I said this last week, but it's true. The making of profit, there's nothing wrong with making profit. I think that's everyone's goal, that we would be able to do business in such a way that we would make a profit. And I said there's a word sometimes that gets in our way, and it has to do with the making of profit, and it's the little, it's not really even a word, it's just two letters, it's the letters E-R, and it's, it's er, you add that to the end of words, so just say er with me. Yeah, very good. My life, I want my life to be bet-er. I hope I can be strong Er. I go jogging so that I can get faster and healthier. And truthfully, I am not fast. So faster is not really ever going to be an option for me. But faster, stronger, healthier, richer. We, we tend to chase the er in our lives. And so often, the only problem with chasing that profit, the only problem with chasing er is that so often er gets in the way. Better gets in the way of what's best. And the Bible tells us in James chapter 4, instead, because your life is so short, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So how do we know God's will? How do we find God's will for our life? Well, God's will isn't like a mystery to be solved. It's not like a pattern or a path to be uncovered. It's actually more than that. We're going to dig into that in just a moment. But here's one of the challenges we have with finding God's will. So often when someone says to me, Chad, I just want to know God's will. When you've prayed the prayer, God, please show me your will for your life. We just need to be honest with ourselves and honest with God. We're not asking, actually often asking for his will. Too many times we're not asking God to show us what he wants. We're saying, God, please give us success in what I want. Isn't that a problem sometimes? Sometimes I've got this dream, God, and I, I want you to fulfill my dream. You, it's, I think you've given me this dream, so dear Lord, please let your will be that this dream comes true. Like that guy at OBU who sat down in my, in my, in my dorm room and said, I know I'm going to marry her. I don't even know her name yet. God, let me marry this woman, but I don't even know her yet. We're not asking God for his will so often as we're asking God to give us success. Sometimes you've seen it where the, the football team, they're in the locker room, and they, they get down just before they run out on the field. They get down on one knee to pray a prayer. <laughs> and so often the prayer says something like, uh, Dear Lord, please keep everyone safe as we play today. Thanks for the skill and the strength to be able to play. And, and as far as this game is concerned, please, Father, let your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And then they'll run out onto the field. And so those were the words they said. But what they're actually thinking is they pray, as far as this game is concerned, let your will be done. As far as what they're actually thinking inside their heart is, oh, Lord, please let me crush them. <laughs> we want to win, and we want to win big. We want them to walk off the field with their heads held low in shame because we, won, we got 66 points, and they got nothing, God. That's what we want. See, that's the challenge sometimes when we pray 
for God's will is we're not necessarily seeking the will of God as much as we're seeking our own success. And so one of the first things that we need to see about God's will is something relatively simple. And it's that God's given you a promise and he's told you to go. God's will is not a mystery to be solved. It's not necessarily wrapped up in your success or your failure. God's given you a promise. God gave you a promise. And God told you to go. God gave you a promise. And God told you to go. Let's just use some biblical examples to think about this. Abram was the son of a rich man. The man lived in Ur of the Chaldees, and God goes to Abraham and says, Abram, I'm going to change your name to Abraham. I'm going to give you this promise, and the promise is this promised land. But in order to fulfill this promise, you've got to go. You've got to leave your father. You've got to leave the wealth of your nation and leave the wealth of your father behind. And, and when he said that to Abram, when he said that to Abraham, he didn't really give him any details. He just said, Abram, get up and go. I'll make a great nation from you. And you know what Abraham did? He got up and he went. God gave him a promise and told him to go, and he went. And it wasn't until Abraham was old that he had his first child. So God's promise to Abraham is, hey, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And then years later, his first son is born. And when his first son comes of age, he's about 12. He's a young, young teenager. Maybe he's a little older than that. God comes back to Abraham and says, Abraham, I've given you this promise. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. You're going to be more numerous than the sands of the sea and the, and the stars in the sky. And out of you, this Messiah will come. I've made you this great promise. And here's how I'd like to fulfill that promise. Take your youngest, your only son, Isaac, and sacrifice him to me. That sounds crazy. It sounds insane. But that's what God told Abraham to do. And you know what Abraham did? He got up and he went. Why? Because God gave him a promise and he told him to go and God saved Isaac. And out from Isaac, there's other sons born, Jacob and Joseph and, and, and generations of people until eventually Messiah comes. God gave Abraham a promise and he told him to go. He didn't give him all the details of the promise or of, of, of exactly how to go and what to do and all those things. He just simply gave him a promise and told him to go. Think about Moses with me for just a moment. Moses had this dream. He was born into Pharaoh's household. Again, another son of a rich man. But Moses had failed miserably. He had killed a man and he had run away. Moses' Moses's dream for his life was dead. And out in the desert, God comes to Moses in this burning bush and says, Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. I'll be with you as you go. Tell him that I am has sent you. God gave Moses a promise and told him to go. Before Moses could fulfill the dream that God had for his life, God had to kill the dream in Moses' life. Have you ever experienced that in your own life? Sometimes when we pray, God, show me your will, the problem is not that we're asking God for his will. We're asking God to make us successful. And maybe we're like Moses. Maybe Moses, maybe God, maybe God needs to kill the dream in your life so that his dream for your life can come to life. God's given you a promise, and he's told you to go. You see, I will, I will never be able to follow God closely until I realize that God's promises are true, and I walk in God's promises. See, here's the truth. Your path to every step forward is paved 
with all the promises of God. When it comes to knowing and doing God's will for your life, the path to every step forward is paved with all of the promises of God. God's given you a promise, and he's told you to go. So what are you struggling with today? What job to take? What person to date? How to handle this relationship? What, what's going on with your spouse, with your, with your kids? What's going on at work? What's going on at school? What's going on on the ball field or in your hobbies? How do you handle that? See, God's given us a promise. The path to every step forward is paved with all the promises of God. Let's just take a look at some of the promises God has given us. Just think about this. And you might want to write some of these promises down. Look at this. 1 John 1, 9, God says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's a promise. Have you ever sinned? If you confess it, God is faithful. He's just he will forgive you. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. That moment in your workplace when it's time for you to finally speak up and say something about your faith or when you decide, hey, I'm gonna pray for this person or when you decide you're gonna do the hard thing and ask for forgiveness from someone that you've wronged and that feeling you get in the pit of your stomach that feels, we call it fear because of the butterflies that are there. I wonder if that feeling isn't really the feeling of fear. I wonder if that's what it feels like when God pours that adrenaline into our bodies and says, I'm giving you power and love and sound mind. I wonder if that anxiousness or that anxiety that comes into our heart and to our life, I wonder if that's not the feeling of fear. I wonder if that's what it feels like when God says, watch this. I'm about to use you in a way you never imagined. God's given us a promise and he's told us to go. Acts chapter one, verse eight says, and when his Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power to be witness to me, to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit, when he comes into your life, he's given you power. He's given you authority. Every time you have the opportunity to share the gospel with someone, you've received power because you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, there is no temptation except such as common to man. And God, who is faithful, will make a way of escape not allowing you to be tempted beyond what you were able. This is what we were talking about last week on these obstacles to every step forward. One of them is sin and one of them is temptation. Well, God's made you a promise in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that he's not gonna allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. And with the temptation, he's made a way out. So God's will for your life, if you face temptation, is to find the way out. He's given you a promise, and he's told you to go. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, Stand fast in the liberty that you've been given, because it's for freedom that you've been set free. God's given you freedom in your spiritual walk with him, and you don't have to take on again. Galatians 5 continues, you don't have to take on on again all of these rules and rituals and laws of, of religion. You don't have to do that because you've been freed by the law of Christ to walk in freedom. You don't have to worry about whether or not you're gonna disappoint or fail God anymore because Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead, and you've been forgiven from all of that. And with that forgiveness, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, comes freedom. Freedom from addiction, freedom from sin, freedom from temptation. That old stuff that you find when you decide, oh, I'm just going to turn over a new leaf. Instead of turning over a leaf, a new leaf or, or, to, to, to find old dirt, what if you just walked in the freedom that you already had? You looked at the temptation that you faced on a daily basis and said, wait, wait, God's given me a promise and he's told me to go. I don't have to live by the world's rules anymore. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
What's God's will for your life? What's God's will for my life? Well, when I don't know, Jesus says I'm the way. When I don't know the way, uh, he's the way. When I'm surrounded by liars, when I'm surrounded by deceptions, Jesus says, I am the truth. Listen to me. Listen to my words in this book, in this word. I am the truth. When, when, he, when it feels like all of the life is drained from us, I just don't have any more to give. Jesus says, I am the life. And that life is the light that shines the way on your path to every step forward. John 6, 68, Peter's talking and he looks at Jesus and Jesus is asking the question, are you guys gonna leave me now? And Peter responds, Jesus, where would we go? You're the one who carries words of life. So one of the promises God has given you is he's given you words of life. The, the path to every step forward for you is paved with all the promises of God. James chapter one, verse five says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to you. God, what's your will for my life? I don't know, but I need your wisdom. He promises he'll answer and he'll give you wisdom. Let's see what's next. Second Peter 1, 3. Second Peter 1, 3. Here's another promise from God that his divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Well, what's God's will for your life? Well, it's paved with all the promises of God. And this is one of the promises that God has given you by his divine power. Everything you need for life and godliness. What's your greatest need today for life? What's your greatest need today for godliness? Your God has provided. It reminds me of a verse that's not up here. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory. God delights in giving you needs. He gave you a need for food. He gave you a need for air. And then you know what he did? He made air to breathe. And he made food to eat. God didn't have to make the food that we eat taste good. But because he's a good God and he's a loving God, he made chocolate. <laughs> and because he's a good God and he's a loving God, he made food taste good for us. He gave us a need. And now God delights in meeting that need. How do you know the will of God? Well, the will of God, your path to every step forward is paved with all these promises from God. Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. What things? All these things. How do I do it? How do I find God's will? I seek God first. You see, this is a principle about finding the will of God that we often forget. The will of God isn't found by some great revelation. The will of God isn't like opening up a package. It's not like waiting. Sometimes you might think about someone's last will and testament. It's not about waiting for someone to die and then some attorney coming along and opening up some legal document to, ha to have this reading. And, and now you will go from here to here. And, now you'll, and, and then you'll marry this person. And then, you'll, and then you'll have this career and you'll make this kind of money. That's not the way the will of God works. The will of God works as we follow him one step at a time. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The path to every step forward is paved with all the promises of God. James chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. This is such a great passage of scripture. It says, every good gift 
And every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation and no shadow of turning. And verse 18 is the incredible one. He says, of his own will, you were brought forth to be a kind of first fruits of his creation. First fruits, every time we hear that it's in scripture, it's almost always about a tithe, but this isn't about the tithe that you give to a, a nonprofit organization or to a charity. It's not about the money that you give at all. This is about the tithe that God gives. He says, you as believers in Jesus Christ are a kind of first fruits of his creation. And the tithe in scripture is always designed as us giving, it's always defined as us giving our first and our best to God. And God looks to you and says, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the father of lights with whom there's no variation or no shadow of turning. And he's made you, he's created you, he's designed you as a believer in Jesus Christ to be a kind of tithes, to be a kind of first fruit, to be the first and the best God has to offer this community in this generation. What is God's will for my life? What's God's will for your life? Well, God's will for your life is paved. Your every step forward, the path to every step forward is paved with all of these promises from God. God's given you a promise and he's told you to go. Now, there's far more promises in scripture than just these. There's so many more that you find in scripture than these. And so this is one of the reasons why we encourage people to read God's word on a daily basis because every time I open this book, I find a new promise. God gives me a new promise and he tells me to go. He gives me a new promise and he tells me to go. Now, I'll tell you the challenge with a, uh, with a message like this, the challenge with a talk like this is what I just said is very, very broad. And I can see some of you sitting out there and you've kind of leaned back and you, a little bit and you've okay, now I get that. I understand the, the path is paved with all the promises of God, but that doesn't help me make this very narrow, very specific decision. I'm trying to decide who I should date. How does, how does knowing that help me decide? How does it help me answer that question, who should I date? It doesn't help me answer the question what job I should take or in which city I should live or what college I should attend or, or whether or not I should play on this team or on that team or whether or not I should, uh, should, should be a part of this sport or that sport. How does that help? How, I want to know God's will for that. Well, remember, God's will isn't simply about our success. It's about following him step by step. But one of the things I would like us to do as we wrap up our time today is I'd like to give you three questions that can help you narrow the focus. Three questions that can help you narrow the focus as you try to discover the will of God for your life. Remember James chapter 4 says, uh, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, we ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. So God, how do I decide if I'm supposed to do this or that according to your will. So here's just three very practical questions that I think can help us discern the will of God. The first one is, is it sinful? Is it sinful? When you're about to make a decision, when you're about to make a choice, when you're about to take a step on every step forward or on the path to every step forward, the first question is, is it sinful? Because the answer to that is really simple. If it's sinful, then the answer is no. It's not the will of God. Hey, should I go home this afternoon and beat my wife and kids? Yeah, it's almost so silly when you say it out loud that people would laugh. There should come a point in, the, in every believer's life 
where our choices between right and wrong are just so crystal clear that those are the easy ones and our choices between good, better, and best are the most difficult ones. If it's sinful, then I'm not going to do it. Or if avoiding something, if, I, if God's told me to do something and I choose not to, well, that's sinful too. That answers the question, is it sinful? Well, then sure, that, that could be, maybe this is in the will of God. Why? Because it's not sinful. The answer is yes, it's, it's not, or the answer is no, it's not sinful. So I can take a step forward. Here's the next question. Is it fruitful? Is it sinful? Is it fruitful? Now, when I say fruitful, you might think profitable. Profitable and fruitful aren't the same thing. When I say fruitful, it has a very specific context. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 say that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It says against these things there is no law, meaning you can be filled to the full with those things. You can keep producing those things in your life and the lives of others. You can keep having those all that you want. There is no law. There's no restriction. There's no boundary for those things. So when I ask the question, is it sinful? If the answer is no, it's not sinful. Well, maybe I can take a step forward. The next question is, is it fruitful? In my life or in the lives of the people around me, will what I'm about to do produce the fruit of the Spirit? Will someone be drawn closer to Christ because of this decision? Will love be born in my heart? Will love be, will flow, will peace, will joy, will patience, will kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, will someone else experience that from me and be able to walk more completely in that because of me? If I really am the first and best that God has to offer this community in this generation, then this is the reason why. Because the choices I make and the actions I take and the words I say are coming out of the outflow of the fruit of the Spirit in my life and they're, they're planting seeds of the fruit of the Spirit into someone else's life. It's the reason why we say around here that we want to use who we are and what we have for the benefit of others. Why do we want to use who we are and what we have for the benefit of others? Because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He planted seeds of forgiveness. He planted the fruit of righteousness in our hearts when he came into us and saved us. And out of that, we experience his love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If your life is producing those things and, you're, and you're, you're planting those things in the life of others through this choice and through this decision, well, then the answer is, yeah, maybe you should move forward. How do I know if this is the will of God? Is it sinful? If it's not sinful, maybe I can move forward. If it is fruitful, then yeah, maybe I can move forward. And here's the last question. Is it the wise thing to do? Remember James chapter 1, verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Again, that's another promise from God. And this is a question that we've explored before. Is this the wise thing to do? You see, this question has a context that's different for you than it is for me. This question has a context that's different for you than it is for me because this question, the answer to this question, is influenced by these two things, but it's also influenced by a bigger context. See, I have a specific history. So based on my past experiences, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, is this the wise thing to do? Once I get past the guard gates of is it sinful and is it fruitful, yes or no, it's not sinful, so I can move forward. Is it fruitful? Yes, it's fruitful. It will produce in me the fruit of the Spirit, and I'll be able to plant the seeds of the fruit of the Spirit into someone else's life. You get to this question, and then you get very narrow in your questions. Um, I have a friend right now who's been, who's been trying to choose what career path they're supposed to take. 
based on their past experiences. The kind of job that they're going to take has been influenced by the past experiences that they have based on their current circumstances. Well, do I have a job right now or not? How does this job compare to the job that, that I'm being offered? Where does this job take me and my family? How does going there influence and affect me and my family? Based on my past experiences and my current, current circumstances, is this the wise thing to do? And the last question, based on my future hopes and dreams. In the future, how will this affect me and my family? In the future, how will this affect my income? See, the answers to these questions are very, very individual. You see, you've been given a promise from God. You've been told to go. And the path to every step forward is paved with all of those promises. And if you're wondering what the next step on that path is, you can, you can test those steps, Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You can seek him first. As you follow him, you can test whether or not you're in lockstep with him with these three questions. Is what I'm about to do sinful? If it's sinful, then I must not be in lockstep with him if I take that action. Is it fruitful? Well, this sure has the look and the feel and the sound of what God would inspire in my life and the lives around me. Is it the wise thing to do? Well, God's given me wisdom. He's promised. That's one of his promises. And based on my past experiences, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, I think this is the direction I'm going to go. And once you answer these three questions, you can step forth with confidence. It may not always take you where you hoped to go, but it will always take you where God needs you to go. Some of the steps forward that Jesus took, took him into pain. It took him into a garden where he sweat drops in blood. He sweat drops of blood praying for you and me. It took him into a courtroom where he was accused of crimes he didn't commit. It led him to a cross where nails were driven into his hands and feet. Why? Well, because it would have been sinful to do otherwise. And it was the most fruitful thing for you and I he could possibly do. That verse, that promise that God made, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That promise couldn't have been fulfilled had Jesus not stepped onto the cross. He gave his life on the cross to fulfill 1 John 1, 9. Was it fruitful? Absolutely. Was it the wise thing to do? Well, Jesus had had many past experiences and current circumstances with humanity to know that there was no way, there was no way, I could say it like this, there was no way in hell that we could escape without him going to the cross like he did. And so based on his future hopes and dreams. Well, what was it? Well, Romans 12, no, excuse me, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, tell us what his future hopes and dreams were. It says that Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Who was the joy that was set before him? You were. Based on his future hopes and dreams, the cross was the right path for him to take. And so today, for some of us, What's the wisest thing you could do? What is the will of God for your life? For some of us, it's to place our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. You see, the first step down that path that's paved with all the promises of God is to realize that Jesus Christ has forgiven your sin. 
that, that, that we have sin stuck in our life and the only way out is for us to be forgiven. God loves you and me. Sin hurts you and me. And Jesus died for our sin, rose from the dead so that we might be forgiven. So the wise path for you today, actually it is for each one of us, is to look to our Heavenly Father and say simply to Him, Father, I will follow you out. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you could just for a minute.